When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Is this run fun or what? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you. This is a new episode of the H2P podcast right here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. My name is Corey Christen. Today is February 26th, 2023, a Sunday to begin the final week of the regular season before ACC tournament time. And folks, your Pitt Panthers are nearing history once again. A 99-82 drubbing, absolute pasting of the Syracuse Orange in front of a sold-out 12,508-seat Peterson Event Center on Saturday. And listen, you should be enjoying every second of this. You should be enjoying every second of this run Pitt is on. You should be enjoying every second of Jeff Capel and what he has built. You should be enjoying every second of the five seniors, including Aiden Fish, of course, that were honored before the game on Saturday. And look, the best thing that we saw on Saturday was the Fish bucket to end the game. But this game was won because of all of that hustle and all of that grit and all of that determination that we have talked about all season long that has made this Pitt team what it is. Pitt out-hustled Syracuse in every category imaginable and Jeff Capel said it after the game Pitt was connected Pitt played connected cohesive basketball and this is the fruits of the labor right here 21 points off for turnovers for Pitt eight for Syracuse 25 second chance points to Pitt 11 for Syracuse 18 offensive rebounds for Pitt 11 for Syracuse 15 fast break points seven for Syracuse 28 to 6 margin on the bench, 19 of 22 free throws made. All of those little things matter, especially when the opposition shoots it at a higher percentage overall. Syracuse made 50% from the field, Pitt made just above 47%. And by the way, Pitt assisted on 27 of their 32 made field goals while committing just five turnovers throughout the game. So, if you really want to break down X's and O's about how the game was won, you don't need to go too far because that's it. Pitt out-hustled. They won the 50-50 balls. They got after it. They found ways to neutralize Judah Mintz relatively. Joe Girard was neutralized relatively. Jesse Edwards obviously found some foul trouble. And now here we are. Pitt is in sole possession of first place. Your Pitt Panthers are in sole possession of first place in the ACC 
with two games to play in the regular season, including the massive showdown. Well, first off, on Wednesday, we could say that's a massive showdown in its own right. At Notre Dame, it's going to be Mike Bray's final home game as head coach. And then it's Saturday. That game could be Pitt takes the number one seed and the outright regular season ACC crown. Or it could be Pitt shares it with Miami. So we'll find out, obviously, more on Wednesday after those games conclude and we have a little more clarity. But for right now, this is just something to enjoy. And I know there's been a lot of talk about rankings and about net and Ken Palm. And I'll be honest with you. I was all for the talk about the net and the Ken Palm and the AP a few weeks ago, a month ago, however long ago. But at this point, it's kind of tired. And right now, what we should be doing is embracing the fact that this Pitt team is winning basketball games that it should. Should they have won at Virginia Tech? Arguable. But also, at the time, that was a quadrant one loss. But here we are, after a whole week of competition, Pitt absolutely had a strong week, another strong week, obviously beating Georgia Tech, and then you beat Syracuse in the fashions that they did. And going into this final week, Pitt's probably not going to crack the top 50 in the net again. They certainly didn't after beating the Orange. And Ken Palm doesn't have a lot of respect for Pitt. We know this. And the AP writers, who knows what they're going to do in the poll. But at this point, to be frankly honest with you, that doesn't matter. You shouldn't be worried about rankings. You shouldn't be worried about net. You shouldn't be worried about Ken Palm. The eye test tells itself. The eye test is the determining factor for Pitt. This is an NCAA tournament team if I've seen one. They play like it. They act like it. They carry themselves in that manner. They believe it. And that's the most important part of it. Of course, getting voted 14th in the ACC. I'm not going to embellish myself a little bit more on that one. But they know. They use that as fuel. And they're well aware, of course, of what Jim Beheim said at the beginning of the month when it came to Pitt and how it allegedly, quote-unquote, bought its team over the offseason. And in the second segment, we're going to rehash that quite a bit because Jim Beheim, quite frankly, stepped in it again. And listen, I'm a Syracuse alum. You all know this. I didn't have much of an interaction with Beheim when I was a student there. I was more centered around the women's program. And, you know, obviously there are the stories around the internet space. You could find them just by a simple Google search of Beheim kind of pasting students after games for their questions, which usually are good questions, by the way. But I didn't have much of the Beheim experience as maybe the average Syracuse student did. But certainly I know that there is a certain way to handle Jim Beheim, how to cover Jim Beheim, how to talk to Jim Beheim in a press conference setting. What transpired after the game was really something to behold. Did it shock me? No. And there were some people in the room that were like, whoa, like, what was that? And I'm, you know, kind of shrugging it off because that's pretty par for the course. And that included how Beheim kind of looked at the Syracuse reporters in the room, the Syracuse.com reporters that, you know, I've gotten to know over the years. And of course, the student reporters that were there. And he looks at the veterans for, you know, a talking point. He goes to them and says the answer to them. But again, the content of what he said still matters. So we'll get into that in segment two. And then I want to expound a little bit more on just what's at stake here for Pitt to close the regular season out and 
what could Pitt's path be to the ACC championship game in the ACC tournament? What is the easiest path? What is the most difficult path? What are the possibilities, the combinations? Who would you like to see? Who would I like to see in the ACC tournament that could potentially favor Pitt in a tournament setting, in a gauntlet, if you will, three games in three days, it would have to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday before, of course, Selection Sunday. And then, you know, Tuesday, we're getting set for an NCAA tournament game a week from Tuesday. It's insane to think about that, again, given just the state of where things were at over the offseason and preseason and the uncertainty and the, is Jeff Capel the right guy for this? Spoiler, he is. He proved it. This team has proved themselves. They have proved their worth. And now here we go. So we're going to have a lot of fun over these next couple of weeks at minimum with the NCAA tournament starting, of course, with the ACC tournament in two weeks, with this week of games coming up. It's a lot of fun. We're going to get to segment two. We're going to take a break here. Segment two, let's talk Jim Behan right here on the H2P podcast, DK Pittsburgh Sports. All right, segment two here on the H2P podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Gary Morgan is out today with a uh, family obligation, so he'll be back with us next week on this Sunday, February 26, 2023, after Pitt absolutely rolled Syracuse at the peak. I mean, it was, again, an absolutely just hustle fest in, in terms of Pitt and what they were able to do. The Orange, they won all of the little categories. They were able to create a lot of turnovers, score off of them, rebound the ball well. They did everything well. When it comes to the shooting, obviously Syracuse shoots it at a higher rate than Pitt does, but Blake Henson let it fly. We saw how Federico impacted Jesse Edwards, both on the offense and the defensive end. We saw just how Nelly Cummings is an absolute killer for Syracuse. He's averaging 18 points per game in three games against the Orange. And an absolutely electrifying double-double effort. He puts 13 assists up on Saturday. You look at Greg Elliott, the second half that he had. Everybody contributed. Everybody did their part. Nike Sabandi, obviously, electrifying off the bench with the just insane alley-oop. I mean, I pulled the, the feed off of the ACC network and tweeted a still of where he caught that ball in that alley-oop. And he had to go a long way to get it. And he threw that thing down, man. That was awesome. That was so cool to see and experience. And look, that sold-out crowd, 12,000-plus at the Pete. If you were there, you know this. You rocked it. That was awesome. It was electrifying. It was loud. It was completely just deafening at times. And the loudest pop of the night came when Aiden Fish crossed it over, lefty scoop layup, rolls in, shooters roll, and the place just goes absolutely bonkers. That was the coolest part of the night. Aiden Fish, a manager, turned a walk-on, got a scholarship for the rest of this year in his final game on the court that he grew up watching, experiencing, going to camps on. The Murraysville native got his bucket on senior day. And everybody, Jeff Capel included, just lost it. I, I mean, it was so cool. And after the final horn, you know, he scored that with about 14 seconds left. 
And after that horn, everybody off the bench just mobbed fish at half court. And it was just an amazing sight and, and one that he'll undoubtedly. And for the fact of that matter, anybody that was there at the Pete, you won't forget that moment. That's a moment that is Hollywood. That's a moment that is unprecedented. That is talked about on Sports Center. Of course, you'll hear that. So on the other side, let's get to Jim Beheim. Okay. Now, again, I prefaced in the first segment a little bit, just a little bit of my background around Jim Beheim. It's not extensive by any means, but obviously when you go to school at Syracuse, you learn about Jim Beheim. You learn the intricacies of covering a guy like that. Obviously, he's had a Hall of Fame career. He's done this for 40-plus years. He's won a national championship. He's taken that Syracuse program to unbelievable heights. That section of New York, central New York, will never forget that. And they'll always respect him and revere him for that. But we're at the point now where Jim Beheim will say something. And of course, fans of the opposing team, even the opposing team itself, dare I say, will take that as bulletin board material. You certainly saw that with the Oakland Zoo. You saw signs everywhere, you know, the picking of the nose. You see the signs. There was one I saw in the zoo of Beheim. It looked like he was running from a stampede, the scene from The Lion King, and all of the players from pit starters were pasted over, you know, the animals from that. So, I mean, it's awesome. I love the gamesmanship. I love that there's a back and forth. I love that this is an actual rivalry. Jim Beheim got what was coming to him from the zoo. Plain and simple. They were going to boo the hell out of him. They did. They were going to chant at him and Judah Mintz, for that matter. Mintz, of course, starting point guard for the Orange, formerly committed to Pitt. They were going to jeer at him, and he got chance of traitor and overrated. Okay, great. You expect that kind of thing. Beheim after the game, I don't want to say he no-sells it, but he says after the game, basically, eh, it was about the same as what we're used to seeing here at the Pete, when they're good especially. And then he said it doesn't bother him. Okay, fair play, fair enough. But of course, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. And that elephant in the room is the comments that he made to ESPN's Pete Thamel back in early February about how Pitt and Wake Forest and Miami allegedly bought their teams over the offseason. And that's why they're having so much success this year throughout the transfer portal, because Pitt is one of the oldest teams in college basketball. They are the 16th oldest team in college basketball. Their starting five is, in fact, older than the starting five of the NBA's Oklahoma City Thunder. So there's some truth to Pitt being old. There's no questioning that. And quite frankly, I don't see how that's a bad thing. But the man who can't pull transfers in is criticizing the winning program, which is pulling transfers in. Here we go. Okay. Beheim, after the game, not only took time to say, I thought that conversation, of course, talking about Pete Thamel was off the record, which we can assume based off of basic journalism ethics that if Thamel was aware or Thamel was given the impression that that was on the record, he was going to publish it. If it was off the record, it should not have been published. That is basic journalism ethics 101. Second, he then tried to quantify how teams find success through the portal and how teams and players, that marriage is not easy to come by. And and it's true to an extent. I'm not saying what Jim said after the game here was falsified 100%, but the irony of Beheim blasting the portal and its success rate 
after just getting beat as bad as they did by a team which successfully built itself from the portal. The irony of that is insane. It just is. So look, if he's going to complain about our freshmen being 17 and 18 years old, playing against 23-year-olds, direct quote here, quote, that's not good, it's not a way to win, but that's college basketball, that's the way it's going to be from now on in, end quote. By the way, Syracuse is 9-9 and within the ACC, 16-13 and overall. They are in danger of missing the postseason for the back-to-back years for the first time in 50 years. And by the way, this is the cherry on top. Syracuse has zero players on its roster, which transferred in. So, is this a issue of Beheim just not being able to pull transfers in? Is this him not looking in the transfer portal? What is this? Because what's the hypocrisy here about you know, recruiting and NIL and all this. And then how are you going to complain that teams are winning based off of this when you're not even trying to do it? Maybe he is trying to do it and he's just failing at getting transfers in. Look, I know Jim can be cantankerous at times. This is nothing new. The whole Jim Beheim and how he's opinionated and how he conveys it and what he says, none of this is new. But... Where's the guidance behind the words? Where's the fact behind the words? Where is the logic behind the words? He went on a whole tangent, a whole tangent about the NCAA net rankings, to which, to his point, he he made a fair point about, but that was sandwiched in between two slices of bread, which were basically saying Pitt's done a great job of recruiting Pitt has done a great job. Jeff Capel has done a great job. And then he just had to make that dig in there, didn't he? Quote, last year they were like trying to get a new coach, weren't they? End quote. When you go on two separate two and a half minute to three minute rants about God knows what, and then you try to just (laughs) throw that in there. Sorry, that's not a good look. That's not a good look. Now, We'll get more into the whole ranking and where Pitt could go from here within the ACC tournament and what their pathway could look like. And we're going to do that here in the third segment on the other side of this break. So I want to know, and you can leave comments on this. You can tweet me your response. I want to know what you think Pitt's pathway to the ACC championship game could look like as far as accessibility and as far as maybe what the easiest road for Pitt is because I have a theory and I have this laid out in front of me and I want to get to it let's get to a break we'll get to segment three and do that right here on the H2P podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network All right, let's do this. Segment three of the H2P podcast right here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Corey Christen with you. Gary Morgan is out again this week. We'll see him and talk to him next week. Final week of the season. Two games left. Let's do this. Your ACC standings heading into this week's action. Pitt is number one. 
at 14 and 4. Miami's number two, half game back at 14 and 5. Virginia's a full game back at 13 and 5, along with Clemson, who's also 13 and 5. Duke, technically not out of it for the one seed, if you really want to get nuts, at 12 and 6. So right now, the worst that Pitt can finish to close this regular season is the five seed, which is that cutoff for a double buy in the ACC tournament. Now, the likelihood of that happening, catastrophic things would have to happen. But for all intents and purposes, Pitt has a double buy in the ACC tournament pretty much sewn down. A win over Notre Dame obviously solidifies it, and it basically just gives Pitt a share of the ACC championship guaranteed, regular season, of course. And then it makes that game against Miami on Saturday. As long as Miami wins their midweek game, I don't know off the top of my head who they play and my bad for not looking it up. It would basically mean if Miami and Pitt both win midweek, Miami versus Pitt becomes essentially a battle for the share of the ACC regular season championship. And then the one seed, you know, we go from there. So anyway, right now, as the bracket stands, and I want to call this to attention. Because when I think about how Pitt can not only win a game in the ACC tournament, you know, all this talk about Pitt making the NCAA tournament in the net and all of that stuff that everybody else wants to talk about in depth and quite frankly complain about, that's what it's gotten to now. And I'm a little tired of it. I'm not going to complain about it. Pitt's play has done the talking, plain and simple. I'm not going to complain on anybody's behalf or my own behalf about Pitt being unranked, about the Ken Palm, about the net. It's tired. It just is. But when it comes to solidification and really making a statement, and honestly, if there is a legitimate doubt still within the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, how can Pitt punch a ticket guaranteed to the NCAA Tournament if they have to win a game in the ACC Tournament? Let's get into that real quick. So as of right now, Pitt as the one seed would get the winner of the 8-9 game, which is played on Wednesday, March 8th. Pitt, with a double bye, would not play at the earliest until Thursday, March 9th. So Pitt as a one seed would get the winner of the 8-9 game. And as of right now, this moment, this recording, that is Wake Forest versus Syracuse. Now, of course, Pitt has beaten both teams this year, a sweep two games over Syracuse. Not a bad path whatsoever quite frankly. But then they would get to that semifinal game. And this is where I think it really gets interesting. First of all, Pitt gets the two. Okay. Miami's the two right now. If Pitt somehow gets the two, they would get the winner of the Boston College Louisville winner versus North Carolina. So the winner of that game. Does Pitt want to see North Carolina in the ACC tournament, even though they beat him twice? I'm not so sure about that. And I'm not saying it's because, you know, the the mystical, you don't want to see a team a third time or what, however you want to word it. I don't think it's because of that. I just think it's because UNC is playing with so many stakes right now. And they are in such grave danger of missing the NCAA tournament that they're just basically playing. They have to play on fire. I mean, they have to play... Just so, and of course, they beat Virginia, which helps open the door for Pitt as the one seed. UNC has a lot of just proving to do right now. And that's a team that I just don't want to see in the ACC tournament. 
So if Pitt could get the 8-9 guaranteed, Wake Forest or Syracuse, if it's one of those two teams, now it's not out of the realm of possibility that Wake Forest and North Carolina swap places as the 7-8. That would add so much more intrigue to this. And quite frankly, it's a good thing North Carolina beat Virginia to move into that 7 because for Pitt, you want Wake Forest, you want Syracuse, you want one of those two teams, and then perhaps if it comes down to, let's say, Boston College-Louisville, which is the 10-15 game as of today, the winner of that would basically play North Carolina the 7 seed, and then the winner of that would basically play the 2 seed. So my point here is, while getting the 1 seed means a lot, And I don't want to downplay what it means. And I don't want to downplay what a regular season ACC championship means. I'm here to say that getting the two seed, which the most likely outcomes right now are the one or the two. Getting the two seed is still not the end of the world, provided Pitt is still able to avoid North Carolina. Now, so let's say Pitt wins that third round game. How do they get to the semifinal? That would be the route. Now in the semifinal, okay, whoever gets the four, whoever gets the three is going to be so crucial because as of today, it's Pitt versus Clemson in a proverbial semifinal. If you're a Pitt fan, would you rather see Clemson or Virginia? I'll argue Virginia is the better matchup. Even though Clemson has had its ups and downs, they just... Blew the doors off NC State, by the way. Clemson has its up and downs, but we saw at the Pete earlier this season how Clemson's size and their depth was just a little too much for Pitt. Now, I'll say this. What I will argue is that Clemson still has the depth. They still have those those players. And Brad Brownell, if it's not Jeff Capel, is right behind him for the ACC Coach of the Year polling. Clemson was picked to finish 10th in this league. Let's not forget either. So this is a Clemson team along with Pitt that is kind of playing with house money, so to speak. So as of right now, Pitt is the one, Miami's the two, Virginia's the three, and Clemson is the four. Of those three teams, do you want to see Clemson or Virginia in an ACC semifinal? Assuming everything goes chalk, of course. That's how this conversation works. I think the easiest path for Pitt to get to the semifinal would be to have a matchup. That 8-9 as it is right now, Wake Forest-Syracuse, great for Pitt. If they could see Wake Forest or Boston College or Louisville, which is how it could shape out basically, if you know the winner of that could beat the 7 seed, which could be North Carolina or Wake Forest, that could work as well. Once it gets to the semifinal though, if you're a Pitt fan, would you rather see Clemson? Or Virginia, because quite frankly, it's not really going to be Pitt Miami, realistically speaking, until the ACC championship game should both advance. So a lot to be discussed, a lot to be sorted out, a lot to be figured out. But I think that's the easiest path for Pitt. And quite frankly, I think right now, the only teams that could really beat Pitt in a tournament setting are Miami, Virginia and Clemson. In that, in the Clemson one, I don't think Clemson as good of a team per se as Pitt is, but I think the matchup is still a little frightening. So that's a team I'm a little wary of in a tournament setting. 
It's going to be a ton of fun to sort this out. I can't wait to get to Greensboro. I'll be there on site. I'll be in, I'll be in South Bend on Wednesday. I'll be in Coral Gables at Miami on Saturday. You know I'm on the road. You know I'm with the team. You know I'm always here. You know we're going to keep the discussion going, whether it's on my Twitter feed. Follow me at CDChristen. Whether it is in, you know, even this podcast on the website on DKPittsburghSports.com, on our thread there, on any live file, on any story that I've written. I can't wait to have the discussion because I'm having just as much fun with this run that Pitt is on as you all are. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep it going. Let's have, most importantly, fun with this. This is something that wasn't expected. This is something that wasn't planned. This is something that wasn't on the menu per se in the preseason. So the fact that Pitt is here in and of itself is just special. And Saturday was a special evening at the Pete. And if you were there, you certainly got to experience that as well. Real quick before I sign off here too, please subscribe to us and share this episode. If you enjoyed it, we would greatly appreciate it. And trust me, subscribing on Apple podcasts, on Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, It helps us out way more than you think it does, and we would greatly appreciate it. Please leave a review if you enjoyed the show. That goes a long way as well. We're having fun with this, so we hope you enjoy the content we put out here at DK Pittsburgh Sports when it comes to Pitt, even if you're a college sports fan and follow some of our guy Corey Geiger's work as well on Penn State. Hope you enjoy all of that as well. Thank you again for listening. Greatly appreciate you. My name is Corey Chris, and this is the H2P Podcast. We'll see you next time.